So what comes to your mind when I ask you about heaven? What's so great about heaven? What comes to your mind? What do you think about when somebody asks you, what's so great about heaven? Or tell me about heaven. Tell me what you know about heaven. I started thinking about this topic a long, long time ago, actually, in my high school years, when my mother went through a very radical time of conversion to Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. My mom had lost my older brother, and I started thinking about heaven because I had an older brother that my mom lost late in her uh, her term of pregnancy, and I never had the privilege of knowing this older brother. And I thought, wow, when I get to heaven, I will meet my older brother. And my imagination started to run wild, and I started to get excited, and I started to understand why mom had lived as a depressed woman for all those many years, um, somehow feeling guilt because she had lost her baby, uh, living in fear, living in struggle, living in guilt, living in her own personal shame. And then she met Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. And she realized that she was going to see her baby in heaven too. Amen? What a great, great thing. What a great jumping off point when we think about heaven. A sadder story was related to a young man named Randy. Randy was my basketball teammate in high school. We spent hours and hours and hours. Um, Randy was the point guard. You know what a point guard does? He handles the basketball fast as lightning. He can dribble, you know, and run faster than I could just run. Um, I was out to the wing. It was in the olden days before the three-point line, but that's where I camped out, out in that zone. And Randy would distribute the ball, and I would shoot, and I would score, and I would be the hero, but you know who the real hero was? It was Randy, right? Because he set up the play. Well, unfortunately, Randy got in with a wrong bunch, and I got in with that wrong bunch too. And in my first time home from Pensacola Christian College, where, where I attended, Randy and I hooked up, and we went out drinking together. And um, it was just a week later that my mother called me, and Mom said, Danny, I have some bad news for you. Randy's been killed. And in that very same car that I had been in a week earlier, parting with Randy and other guys, they went underneath a railroad train, and I won't talk too much about it or I'll cry. But I thought to myself, I thought about heaven that day because I never told Randy about Jesus Christ. I knew Jesus was my Savior, but I never told Randy, and I'd never get a chance to tell him about it again. In midst of this uh, this Florida hurricane, I've been through one when I was in my college days as well. I think about Diane. Diane, a very godly lady, a lady from Montrose, Michigan, who now lives in Florida, retired. But a godly, wonderful lady, Diane, who lost two husbands, uh, both to death. Why did she deserve that? Why did she have to go through that? Well, she had great hope and great comfort because both of those husbands knew Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Heaven came into view for her, didn't it? And she went through that with flying colors. And, of course, she was sorrowful, but she had great hope that Jesus was taking care of them. On the other hand, as a pastor, I've done many funerals for families and people who have no hope. 
when their loved one passes away. Can't think of anything sadder than those that don't have a glimpse of eternity of heaven in view before them. Tomorrow is a very special, certain anniversary in our country. You know what it is, don't you? 9-11. I think of all the people who died on that day, many of who are in heaven. According to the Bible, statistically, probably most of them not. Because wide is the road that leads to destruction. But there are a few that find that narrow road to the gates and the place called God's heaven. I thought about heaven a few years ago, excuse me, as I went through a colon cancer scare. Just doing fine, coaching soccer, living well, and all of a sudden I started to feel bad. And I went in and I got checked out and they sent me in for a colonoscopy and found out that I had colon cancer. And wow, did I think about heaven. And I'm thankful that during that time I wasn't really too worried because God and I were in good shape together. But I'm glad we were. Or else my thought process during that time would have been much different. By the way, I'm doing really well today. Thank you for asking. What do you think of when you hear the word heaven? Well, when I'm here in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, I think of CMU, and I think of the university, and I think of all that goes on. You know what I'm talking about. Some good, some very good, some very bad, some very worldly activity. I think about, in your message notes, our world, which is full of hurt and worry and fear and confusion, and that personally needs to know and realize this amazing hope, this amazing hope that is talked about, first of all, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. That slide should be coming up for you. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, this verse that, that talks about, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. And when I read that verse, my mind goes back to my brother that I never met. And my mind goes back to Randy, and my mind goes back to these other stories that I told you about. I dwell on, I think upon heaven. Because God has started a work in my life. God performed a work in my mother's life that changed our whole family. That was just the beginning of what God had in mind for you and for her and for I. Would you agree with me, if you haven't filled in your message notes, that our world is a place full of hurt? Absolutely. Would you believe that it's a place full of worry and fear and confusion and those who find themselves in that mess need to personally know and realizing realize the amazing hope of Jesus Christ? This morning as the worship team led us in in music, I told you we sang this heaven music. We sang this Jesus music this morning. We sang this music that was all about our hope as believers and our praise to a God who created a thing called salvation and created a place called heaven for each of us. 
I want to ask you to do something really practical this morning. Right here, right now on the spot, and then I'm going to tell you what my answers are. Can you list three unsaved friends who need to know personally the hope, the amazing hope concerning Jesus Christ and his heaven? You writing them down? You jotting down some names? If you don't have three names to put there, you need to go out and meet some people in the world. Right? And I mean that, uh, I mean that very, very candidly. You need to go out and get away from Christians for a little while and meet some people that live in this real world. Let me tell you about some of mine. Let me tell you about a couple of my coworkers. I have found myself for a season of life back in the printing trade. I started in the printing trade when I was 11 years old in inner city Chicago. A couple named Frank and Eva Blevins. Frank was um, a victim of childhood polio. Went around on a four-wheel scooter. Frank actually invented those stair chairs, you know, that climbed the chairs, but didn't have money to ever patent it, right? And sold the design for $5,000, right? He would have been a millionaire today, multi-millionaire today. Frank scooted up those stairs to their second floor apartment every day. But he taught me the printing trade. And not only did he teach me the printing trade, but he paid me the first hour every day to be discipled. Because my parents were new believers and they were unable to do that. So Frank and Eva discipled me. Eva was legally blind, but she was the proofreader. Right? She, uh, she had served on the mission field and had uh, bouts of malaria so many times that she couldn't hardly see. And she would hold pages up this close to her face and proofread. But Eva loved the Lord, and Frank and Eva ran this little print shop on Halstead Street in Chicago called Ambassador Press. comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. talks about how we're supposed to be ambassadors for Christ. And even in my later years, when I got involved in some nonsense, when I hung around with Randy, remember I talked about him earlier, I understood that I was designed by God to be an ambassador. I was designed by God to tell others about his son, Jesus Christ, to tell others about heaven. Well, here I am all these years later. Um, I'm on the opposite end of your church. Kathy and I are seeking a church. All right? You're looking for a pastor. I'm not necessarily here for that purpose today. But I'm back in the printing trade. I'm handling big sheets of paper every night. It's hard work. I'm back with salt-of-the-earth people. And I think on my list about Jamie. Jamie, uh, a man who's been divorced four times, right? Who uh, frequents your casino <laughs> almost every opportunity that, uh, that he can, right? Runs a pretty rough and wild life. Needs Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. Think about another co-worker. Her name is Amy. Amy struggled with drug addiction, with crack addiction, for many, many years. She has been fired and rehired by this company that has tried to help her through that time so many times. But you know what Amy really needs, right? She needs Jesus. She needs to know Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. I think of Dick and Melinda, my neighbors across the road. They'll do anything for you. They keep us on eggs. <laughs> Their chickens have just recently started free-ranging on our property. right? They realize that we're getting their eggs so they can come over and spend some time on our land as well. 
Dick and Melinda would give you their right arm. But they're a wild bunch. And they don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And they don't have any real hope. And they've seen so much disaster in their family through drinking and drug addiction and, and loss of life in their family in tragic ways, but don't know Jesus Christ. They're on my list. They're on my top ten list of people that I would like to see saved. And then I mentioned to you soccer. A man that I've spent many, many years and hours with, Jason, the head coach of the soccer team, and all these girls and guys that I've coached over the years. And you know, it's not my secret ambition to just go out and coach. My secret ambition is to coach so I have a platform to meet young people and their friends and be able to go into the public school and spend time. And that's been a great blessing over many, many years now. But my heart throb is that they might be saved. Part of the stated mission of First Baptist Church of Mount Pleasant, that's you, by the way, I looked on your website, all right, and this is what your stated mission says, and you tell me if it's true or not. We preach and teach the gospel of the grace of God and are committed to explaining, teaching, and applying the, here's your fill-in, the blanks, the eternal truths of God's word to children, teens, adults, and families. Is that true? Is that a true statement? Well, you sang about it this morning. It's on your website. It's the way you promote yourself within this community. I certainly hope it's true. As I come to you this morning, another uniqueness of me speaking to you is that this is the second former Pierpont Church that I've preached in in the last two months. I spoke at Evangel Baptist, his brother's church, uh, who resigned from that church. And of course, your pastor just recently designed, resigned to uh, do other camp ministry. And, um, and, and um, the church in, at Evangel Baptist in Taylor, they have some uh, a very similar statement that they call the Jesus mission. Right? They call it the Jesus mission. It's to reach others for Christ. And they're actively engaged and about that. And I encourage them as I preach this very same message to do one pertinent thing is keep your eyes, even while you're pastorless, keep your eyes fixed where? Fixed on Jesus and fixed on heaven. Have an eternal perspective. Because if you get a new pastor and your new pastor is the only one who has his eyes in his heart fixed on Jesus, and the only one that has an eternal perspective, guess what? You're in trouble, aren't you? You're in big, big trouble as a church. It's something that you need to practice right now. Pastor Pierpont's brother coined this statement. I want you to write it down, and I want you to think about it. It's a great one. And then we're going to jump into God's Word hastily. A church is not a cultural preservation society. You know what that's talking about? It's not a honking museum, all right? The church is not a cultural preservation society where we look at the artifacts of the past and are satisfied with those things. 
Religious museums don't keep people out of hell. What do you have so far? A church is not a cultural preservation society museum, right? Religious museums don't keep people out of hell. Thank you. Churches on the mission of Jesus do. Amen? Churches on the mission of Jesus do. So as we think this morning of what's so great about heaven, I've given you some anecdotal stories. I've given you and encouraged you to write down the real names of at least three people that you know. We've talked about part of your mission statement as a church, which says that you teach and train and apply eternal truths. Well, eternal truths are talking about what place? Heaven, right? Things that last eternally, forever and ever and ever. And now I've given you the Cultural Preservation Society quote. Isn't that an ugly looking slide? It's designed that way. It's designed that way to appear that way and to read that way because the church isn't a museum, right? The church isn't an old artifact. The church needs to be alive and well. Let me give you three practical and biblical reminders and sets of verses regarding heaven. First of all, its builder and designer is our God. Psalm 121 verse 2 says, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Who made both of those places. So I'm not just looking forward to this designer God who made heaven. I'm living right now with a source of help that's ever present, ever there for me. What's so great about heaven? It's builder and designer is our God. Psalm 146 verses uh, 5 through 9 speak very similarly. Listen to these verses. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keep truth forever. Let me stop right there just for a second. One of your little girls this morning had a little panorama spinny thing. It was made in a Sunday school class. Where's that Sunday school teacher that, that did that this morning? Are, are they here? All right. Uh, a wheel, and it went through the six days of creation, and the seventh day God rested. It was pretty cool looking through that with this, uh, this little girl this morning. And it doesn't do us much good if we just believe that God did those things and we teach her how to make little spinny wheels, right? But when we introduce her to the designer of heaven and earth, whose name is God, who made the sea and all that's in them, who executes, verse 7, justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry and freedom to the prisoners... Want to know who one of the prisoners was? I told you about her a little while ago. My mom. Did you catch it? My mom was a prisoner until Jesus Christ freed her. Any other prisoners out there? Ex-prisoners? All right. 
Yeah, you get it. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and widow. But the way of the wicked, he will turn upside down. Wow, that's quite a warning. And that last part of verse 9. Its builder and designer is God. Number two, what's so great about heaven? It is God's planned alternative for his saved creation. You know the verses well. John 3, 16, 17, 18. Because you know John 3, 16 so well. Let me start with verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. First Peter 1 verse 4 says that we have hope of the resurrection of the inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and does not and that does not fade away this hope that is reserved in heaven for you it's god's planned alternative for his saved creation but let me interject a, a little warning whenever we do heaven messages, the topic of hell can't be very far away, can it? We have to come to grips with the reality that both places exist. No matter what the former pastor of a large church in Grand Rapids, Michigan said, right? hell is a real place, and not everybody automatically goes to heaven. You do know that, don't you? We have a task about us. What's so great about heaven? Its builder and designer is our God. It's God's planned alternative for His saved creation. And it's what keeps us dialed in as believers and as the church. Let me give you a couple verses there that I think might be helpful. Philippians 3, verse 20, For our citizenship is where? It's in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that in recent times there's an awful lot of eternal thinking going on. Let me give you some buzzwords that are out there. North Korea. Hurricanes. Earthquakes. Financial ruin. A world who seems to do whatever is right in their own mind. All these things have been spoken of in the Bible and are things that people have encountered before, but they seem to be happening in the legion today. But for us as believers, our citizenship is in heaven. And I hope we're not going to be so selfish that we're not going to want other people to know about it. Because after all, in your mission statement as a church, 
you're telling me and anybody who reads on your website that you have the desire to teach the eternal truths of God's word to young people, to college students. Where are they? (laughs) They're everywhere around here, right? To young and old and rich and poor and black and white and every color in between. So what keeps us dialed in as believers to have the right perspective about heaven. One of the first lengthy heaven passages that I learned was found and it's quite frankly taught in the Iwana program. Titus 2, 11 through 13. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking forward to the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in my head. It's in my heart. Frank and Eva taught me I'm supposed to be a what? An ambassador for Christ. I'm supposed to tell other people about Jesus Christ. I learned from my mom that people can radically be changed when the church has the right perspective. Let me tell you a little bit more about that story before I hurry on to a passage of Scripture that I want to take a a brief uh, survey look at this morning. When my mom became a believer in Christ, the radio station in our home changed. And all of a sudden, we were hearing Bob Murphy, the morning radio announcer, on WMBI, the Moody radio station, had him for breakfast every morning. Right? And then, as we were eating, Mom made us listen to that daily crumb from daily bread every morning. And we started to hear scripture. And we wanted to be like Dad, who said, I don't want any part of it. But we didn't have that gumption to tell Mom that. And really, we didn't have the desire to tell Mom that because we saw this awesome change that had happened in her life. Could never take that away. You know who led my mom to Christ? Wasn't the pastor of the church. It was a group of faithful women that were part of the Parent Teacher Association at my elementary school. And they invited my mom to different functions and Bible studies in their homes. And isn't it a blessing that they got hold of my mom before some cult did? Or some other group did? Or my mom drank herself to death? My mom would hide the cookies somewhere in the pantry. We didn't know where they were. But one day, uh, mom and dad were gone, and my brother and I decided we were going to get the big step stool, and I got up on the step stool, and my brother climbed up my back, and he found the cookies. They were on the top shelf. They were next to mom's liquor bottles. I didn't know the liquor bottles was up there. But he showed me, and then I understood what was going on. See, Mom, every time she would have a fit, every time she would have a a bad bad attack in her life, she'd go in, and there was a hook on the inside of the pantry door, and she'd hook herself in there, and she'd drink. And she'd come out, and she'd be different. The day Mama was saved, 
She went up there on, her, on that step stool. She grabbed all those liquor bottles and she poured them out in the drain. And she never touched another drop. God changed her. But you know who else God changed? Right here. God became the, to change me as a young boy in Christ. And even when I struggled, I remember what happened to Mama. And I remember what Frank and Eva taught me that I was supposed to be an ambassador for Christ. And here I am today preaching that same word to you. The first verse that we learned this morning was found in 1 Corinthians 2, 9. That verse that says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. Parts of that verse were first quoted by the prophet Isaiah. And I decided that I was going to... um, at least spend time in one Isaiah passage this morning that gives us some great, um, some great hope and information regarding heaven. I've given you three very practical reasons. It's builder and designer is God. It's plan, God's planned alternative for a safe creation. And it's what keeps us dialed in as believers in the church. But I wanted to take a brief look toward heaven through the eyes of the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapters 24 and 25, you can peruse the chapters because this is a survey of, uh, of the topic. But God, or Isaiah gives us this big idea in those two chapters. And here's what the big idea is if you're taking notes this morning. The big idea is that God will ultimately triumph over evil and sin. That God will ultimately triumph over e- evil and sin. I'll ask you at this point to take my word for it and then go home and be Bereans and study, okay? And, and make sure that these things that I'm telling you are so. But that's the big idea of Isaiah 24 and 25. Here's the immediate context. Context is the setting or the history behind what we're reading. The immediate context refers to the devastation of Judah following Babylonian captivity. So this afternoon, if somebody asks you what you learned in church this morning, I want you to be able to quote that, okay? I want you to be able to say, we learned about the devastation of Judah following the Babylonian captivity. Uh, I'm kidding, right? But at the same time, it's important Because Isaiah is giving us this big idea glimpse of God's ultimate triumph over evil and sin through the events that took place during the devastation of Judah following the Babylonian captivity. And Isaiah used it as a jumping off point to discuss two awesome future events. Now I'm going to help this to make sense. These two awesome future events relate to the topic this morning, relate to heaven. Isaiah's talking about heaven. Isaiah talks about heaven in regard to, first of all, the great tribulation. He says there's going to be this time, time of great tribulation. And I'm using some notes from Harold Wilmington's Outline Bible. These, these aren't my notes, but these are wonderful notes to help us to, uh, uh, help us to understand what Isaiah was talking about here. Within this, this discussion 
of the great tribulation, Isaiah, first of all, tells us what it is. Isaiah says that uh, this is a time where God himself will lay to waste the entire earth. Now, I talked just about five minutes ago about all the calamities that are going on in our world today. Seemed like maybe Isaiah 24 and 25 would be apropos study material for what's going on today. The Great Tribulation is a time where all people and fallen angels will be judged, where very few will survive, where happiness will no longer exist, where evil and treachery will be everywhere, where earth, according to chapter 24, 19, and 20, will stagger like a drunkard. Isaiah explains what the Great Tribulation is. And then he explains why it occurs. In chapter 24, verse 5, he outlines it this way. He, being Dr. Harold Wilmington, outlines it this way. Humanity has twisted the laws of God and broken his holy commands. So therefore, one of the next events that will be coming on the eschatological, that means end times calendar, will be this time of great tribulation. Backing up just a, a, a little bit from that, we believe as the church that the next great event on that end times calendar is what? The rapture, right? Where we will be snatched away. Amen? Are you with me? Right? We are looking forward to heaven. At least that's what... I'm kind of poking fun this morning, but at least that's what your website says. Right? That that's what you have in mind as an eternal perspective. I hope so. I hope you're not waiting for another pastor to implant that in you because that's not our job as pastors to implant it in you. That's your job by being obedient to God's word and God's spirit and going out and reaching people for Jesus Christ from an eternal viewpoint. The great tribulation occurs because of all the things that I listed already this morning. Why it occurs? Because humanity has twisted the laws of God and broken His holy commands. Wow. Okay, Pastor Dan, I I get it. I I see how you're making the connection to heaven, but... That doesn't seem very satisfying. Give me a little bit more. Okay. Isaiah used it as a jumping off point, not just to talk about the great tribulation, the negative part, but also to talk about the coming glorious millennium. He talks first of all about the promise where joy and singing will fill the earth and where God's glory will outshine the sun. You know the little ditty, don't you? I got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. How many of you have sung it? All right? It's a good shower song. All right? It really, really is. All right? But it's, it's a God eternal perspective song as well. Where joy and singing will fill the earth and God's glory will outshine the sun. 
And then finally in chapter 25, verses 1 through 12, Isaiah now worships and exalts God for several things. Here's what they are. His faithfulness, his salvation of not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well of all people. He praises God for His mercy, for His provision, for His victory over death, certainly for His restoration of Israel, and for the judgment of the enemies. Remember I told you that the big idea was that God would triumph over evil and sin, and it refers to the devastation of Judah following Babylonian captivity, so Isaiah was interested in all that, all right? But he saw God from a heavenly perspective. You know the song, When We All Get to Heaven, Sing the Wondrous Love of Jesus? Let me talk about that a little bit as we end our time together this morning. Can there be a purpose in a crippling ailment? Eliza Hewitt may have wondered that. Educated in a local school system, she graduated as valedictorian in the girls' normal school that she attended and then later became a teacher in the public schools of that city. But then came misery. Her career screeched to a halt when she was forced to bed with a painful uh, painful spinal condition caused by a reckless student striking her with a piece of slate. Laying in bed as an invalid, she could have been better, bitter, but instead she studied English literature and began to sing and write. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace in the mansions, bright and blessed. He'll prepare for us a place. We remember Eliza Hewitt today because of that hymn. Yet, if she had never been bedridden, she may not have written that one. Or others such as Sunshine in My Soul. And along with Fanny Crosby, a close friend, more about Jesus would I know. This morning in conclusion, the anticipation of heaven has often been described as oxygen for the human soul. 1 John 3 verse 3 says, Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies themselves just as he is pure. 1 John 3, verse 3. Well, this morning, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Do you know the love of God personally this morning? That love that I know, that love that my mom came to realize that love that this church states that it believes in and wants to tell you about. And Christian, this morning, are you committed as a church and as you wait for a new pastor to come your way, are you committed to tell others about Jesus Christ and about heaven? What's so great about heaven? Put your thinking cap on. Write it down. Thank Him daily. Rehearse what you know. Read the scriptures. You certainly got a good outline this morning of some key verses to consider and think on. And then worship him 
and serve him as the church that God designed you to be as ambassadors for Christ.